Welcome to another edition of KUAR's Week in Review podcast, where we take a look at the news from the week that was. Coming up. After eight years of monumental changes to health care, the nation and Arkansas brace for another health care fight. The state legislature does some heavy lifting for guns on campus, privately run education, wine sales, and a new gas tax. Meanwhile, marijuana restrictions fall flat, and the bill filing deadline is passed. The Mexican consulate in Little Rock reaches out to help a Trump-weary population. The Arkansas Educational Television Network has a new director on the way at a time when public broadcasting is under question. And we remember the life of Ben Fry, the longtime general manager of KUAR and KLRE, who passed a year ago. That's all coming up. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Michael Hipplin. I'm Chris Hickey. So Arkansas's huge week for major changes to what was once the private option. Now Arkansas works. It's all part of Medicaid expansion, part of the Affordable Care Act. This week we had Paul Ryan present his plan to the U.S. House. And at the state capitol we had Governor Asa Hutchinson announce some major changes that he thinks the Trump administration would approve that the Obama administration wouldn't to the program that has 300,000 people get uh, insurance in Arkansas. They are all low-income people. Michael, you were at a press conference this week with Governor Asa Hutchinson where he announced these big changes to Medicaid expansion. What yeah. are they? And interesting in noting that uh, both he and uh, Paul Ryan presented these on the same day. Uh, there are a couple of uh, key points, four points that uh, Governor Hutchinson would like to make to the Arkansas Works program. Uh, they include, number one, lowering the eligibility cap for people to uh, qualify uh, for this Medicaid expansion. Uh, this would reduce it from 138% of the poverty line to 100%. That has the uh, potential of reducing the number of beneficiaries by about 60,000 people. He's also adding a, a work, re uh, work requirement for recipients. This would be similar to uh, the kind of requirements that are in place for the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program. He also uh, has a, a new program designed to help small businesses offer coverage for their employees. And this would also make Arkansas what's called an assessment state, which would end the federal government's ability to determine eligibility for Medicaid and Arkansas Works applicants. Really, the governor uh, is just wanting the state to have more control over this. And I'll go ahead and uh, go yeah. first here to... Uh, cut from Governor Hutchinson uh, explaining uh, the goals here and uh, what he's really wanting to see with uh, his changes. Why do we seek this waiver now when we don't know what the federal government's going to do? We do it because, one, we don't know the timeline of what's going to happen in Washington, whether they're going to have a two-year or three-year transition period. Uh, and so regardless, and say it was two years, uh, we want these reforms as soon as we can get these reforms. And so January 2018, we can go ahead and make these changes. That's why I've talked to Secretary Price. And so time is important on this. Uh, secondly, uh, these reforms that I've outlined are the same reforms that I've advocated to Congress, that I've advocated to the Trump administration, that I've advocated to our federal governors. And so I sense that this is the same direction that the reform in Washington will take, 
give the states more flexibility, which is really the commitment that's been made. I'm saying this is what we will do with that flexibility. So he uh, said that he's had several conversation uh, with Trump administration officials and uh, is confident that uh, this will work with the changes. But about the number of people on this Medicaid expansion right now, about 331,000 Arkansans are on this. That's way above uh, what he said that uh, the state was expecting. It was uh, thought to be about a quarter million Arkansans, Mm -hmm. and he has said it's not sustainable with this higher level. This would uh, reduce that, but uh, Cindy Gillespie, the director of the State Department of Human Services, spoke about what will happen to these uh, 60,000 people who would now uh, have to be cut from the program. They will proactively have to go and sign up for a plan. We will work with the insurance carriers um, that are offering QHPs over the next um, 45 to 60 days as we design this to put in place a plan whereby what we're thinking right now is we notify individuals late summer, once our waiver is approved, we go ahead and send early notification to the beneficiaries that their plans would be ending as of the end of the year, so they have several months heads up, at which point we would work with the insurance carriers and with the brokers, and when we hit open enrollment late in the year, they will be able to work with those individuals to help them sign up for a plan on the marketplace. Same plan if they choose, different plan if they choose, but yes, they will have to go and enroll in the coverage. And uh, this would have to be approved by the Arkansas legislature and the Senate president pro tem, Jonathan Dismang. So that would likely happen in a special session after the uh, regular session uh, wraps up likely next month. And for those 60,000 to be kicked off right now, the plan is for Hutchinson administration to kind of rely on the federal government or the exchanges to take care of them. But of course, at the federal level, uh, Chris, you've been monitoring some of Arkansas's congressional responses to this. The, their plan at the federal level to replace Obamacare wouldn't necessarily have those exchanges anymore. And if, instead of subsidies, they'd get tax credits and the like. Uh, can you kind of round up some of the response from Arkansas's leg- uh, con- congressional delegation to federal health care law? Yeah, um, well, it's been a mixed response. And surprisingly, it's been somewhat negative to the current plan that's being uh, run through the House of Representatives on the congressional level. Um, as you heard probably in the news this week, the, uh, the plan has gone through some committee hearings. Uh, what I've seen from statements released by our congressional delegation, for instance, um, Senator Tom Cotton, he's kind of criticized the process so far as being too quick and mm-hmm. uh, not giving enough time for the Congressional Budget Office, for instance, to release its uh, impact statement on the plan. Uh, I think uh, Representative Rick Crawford from Arkansas's first district has also uh, shared similar concerns. Others, um, I know that Bruce Westerman of the fourth district uh, has been kind of equivocal in his statement or his position mm-hmm. so far on the health care plan. I'm not sure about Womack, Representative Steve Womack or uh, Senator John Bozeman, however. Yeah, they've all been uh, pretty quiet. Hill. Yeah, or uh, uh, French Hill. Uh, they've been pretty quiet. But I know Tom Cotton suggested things are happening uh, way too quick. Uh, Representative Crawford, I saw, uh, said this pretty much creates a new government. Uh, entitlement would add to the national debt. Uh, 
so I think the backers of this proposal are really getting hit from uh, all sides. From uh, right. Democrats aren't backing this at all, and you've got conservatives who uh, say this is, uh, well, we've heard the term Obamacare light. Right, and Governor Asa Hutchinson, uh, as we taped this on Friday, uh, earlier this afternoon he was on this NPR program called The Takeaway, where he was saying he does think that it'll have additional flexibility, which he enjoys, but it seems like it's, he said it was cost, it was shifting the cost to the states to help pay for this for the first time. So they might get added flexibility, but also added responsibility to pay for the programs themselves, which he said Arkansas and many states probably would have uh, difficulty affording. Moving from national politics back to the state legislature, we've been tracking a number of these bills for a number of weeks, but we kind of almost had a breakthrough on the idea of campus carry, although we really shouldn't call that it anymore. It's more general concealed <laughs> carry. Chris? Yeah, it's carry on a public university campus. It's carry in a church. It's carry at the state capitol. Bars. It's carry bars. at some bars. <laughs> this is a bill that is very controversial. It had been uh, passed out of the House last month, early last month, uh, by a wide margin, originally tailored by Republican Representative Charlie Collins out of Fayetteville to apply to only allow faculty and staff of public university campuses to carry concealed firearms when they go to work. Well, when that passed the House, it went to the Senate, and in the Senate Judiciary Committee, um, Senator Jeremy Hutchinson attempted to apply a, an amendment requiring active shooter training for this uh, class of folks. An additional th- kind of uh, extension of something to the campus administrators and campus police who oppose this. It was something nice they could do to them. Right. To yeah. In order training. to appease, uh, even though they already yeah. had the votes. They're- right. Yeah. yeah. And you know, and also to maybe get the the governor's support for this as well. That got some uh, pushback, especially from some uh, conservative Republican lawmakers. The NRA came to town. Yeah, and the NRA pulled its support. And so uh, this bill basically stalled in this committee for a while. And um, lately what happened is uh, Republican, oh, as a compromise, as an attempted compromise, um, some of the Senate leadership uh, attempted to lower or and did lower the um, age limit um, and also allow the campus carry privilege to apply to students who are 25 years and up who have mm-hmm. gone through this training. Um, but it still uh, it had some detractors, including many conservative Republicans. And so uh, it stalled. And thus the latest amendment or attempt to it and the latest changes, which were approved by the Senate this week by a very narrow margin, basically allows anyone who has a concealed carry license, 21 and up, to uh, carry on, on these various locations that I mentioned earlier, as long as they go undergo eight hours of special training uh, regulated by the state police. Um, now, this bill still has its opponents from, you know, both uh, Republican, or excuse me, Democratic lawmakers who say it's kind of a careless uh, expansion of of guns in different places, as well as uh, some rep- conservative Republicans who say the original bill was hijacked. It's it had some success in the Senate then. It's moving on to the House side. Any idea what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, so it passed out of the Senate on 18 to 9 vote, and the Senate is 35 w- members, so it's like... One vote margin. Yeah. So it was a very, uh, very close vote. Uh, the amendment uh, that was applied to it, uh, the House needs to concur in that amendment, and uh, Representative Charlie Collins, who's the original sponsor and supports this revised measure, uh, says he'll bring it up next week. 
All right. Uh, there's also an expansion of wine sales at grocery stores. Not It's kind of like expanding concealed carry, but wine in grocery stores. Michael? Yeah, this was a surprisingly uh, contentious issue. Brought out a whole lot of lobbying from uh, big retail grocery chains, Walmart, Kroger, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, uh, people representing uh, liquor stores who say this will uh, eat into uh, their profits, even by about uh, uh, 9%. This was uh, brought up uh, for a debate, and a final uh, Senate took place uh, on Wednesday. Right now, grocery stores are limited to uh, these uh, small uh, wineries uh, that only produce uh, up to a certain amount of wine, and Stores can't carry any brand they want. A lot of Arkansas vineyards. Yeah, yeah, and that's what this was intentionally intended to protect. Uh, and uh, we had uh, uh, this come up for a vote. When it finally came to uh, get final Senate approval and be sent to the governor, the only person who really made any argument was uh, Senator Joyce Elliott, Democrat of Little Rock, who said she had, uh, she counted, uh, she mapped it out that she has 30 small liquor stores in her district, mom-and-pop operations, that she said uh, will be impacted by this, especially by the fact that uh, if the governor signs this, it would take effect in October, and said there's really not time for them to change their business model. Uh, Others made the argument, well, you know, things change. You know, big box retailers, Mm -hmm. you know, have come in, and this is just kind of the changing of the marketplace. Uh, but this did end up uh, voting. Uh, it ended up getting the exact number it needed in the final vote, 18 to 14, to get passage. Uh, and I haven't heard anything yet about the governor uh, or whether or not he uh, will indeed uh, sign this. Yeah, I watched the House debate on this the week before. It was a tremendous amount of debate uh, that day. That's before they worked out the compromise amendment, which is liquor stores can sell all sorts of nuts and crackers they couldn't before. <laughs> So grocery stores are having some competition with their nuts and crackers now. Liquor stores having it with the wine. And part of this also was Walmart specifically made a promise. This isn't a law. It's an eight-year promise to not pursue selling liquor in their stores in exchange for this. Yeah. So all sorts of uh, weird liquor politics going on, all relating, of course, the Republicans having to choose whether they really like the free market for everything or not. So let's go from wine to marijuana restrictions. We've talked about this in a few other uh, uh, podcasts there are multiple efforts to for, by the state legislature to curtail the voter-approved medical marijuana amendment. Uh, the latest efforts, one was to ban the smoking of it, one was to ban edibles, leaving oils, basically, uh, which were in some the commercials for, for medical marijuana yeah. actually used oils with children. And don't forget suppositories. Okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> so anyway, both of those measures are barely failing by like one or two votes. So it's kind of interesting, but here's the prevailing argument. Uh, Here's Jeremy Hutchinson again. They will probably punish a lot of us for thinking we're smarter than they are. They have spoken, and our motto, I've said before on this floor, it doesn't seem to matter very much, but our our motto is regnant populace. The people rule, and whether we like it or not, the people have voted this in, and they want us to comply. The only thing they gave us authority to do in the Constitutional Amendment was to implement their wishes. I would argue that this is in direct violation of the vast majority of the people who voted for that. And I think it's time we respect the will of the people, even if it doesn't uh, comport with our desires or our feelings. 
So they're supposed to give it one more try. This is uh, Jason Rapert and Gary Stubblefield sometime next week. Bobby Ampazan with Arkansas Public Media should have a report for us during Morning Edition on Monday morning if you want to stay tuned for that. I just want to get through two more bills in the state legislature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, maybe you could set this up. I've got a, a cut to play. Uh, there's a bill that would give charter school companies sort of priority on uh, using underutilized public school buildings. Yeah, this is a proposal uh, sponsored by Senator Alan Clark, Republican out of Lonsdale. Um, basically, like you said, it's uh, unused and underutilized public school buildings uh, would be basically um, put on a list uh, allowing charter schools to get in, to get first dibs on uh, whether the you know on, on the administration or the control over these buildings now in little rock of course we've got mm-hmm. uh three schools or three to four schools that are facing closure um which will create a couple of vacancies in terms of the buildings right. and um you know a lot of little rock lawmakers and advocates for traditional public schools have opposed this bill um because they see it as a further infringement on the traditional formula of uh, public education for all in a traditional way. One such person is Bill Kopsky, who's the head of the Citizens First Congress. He has a general kind of problem with if charter schools move into these buildings that were closed because of declining school populations, it will further take away students from the district. And that's that's one of his concerns. Um, it's going to continue to erode um, the student base and the financial base of Little Rock School District. And it's going to make the the challenges facing the Greater Little Rock School District um, even more compounded. So this bill is already headed to the governor's desk, so it's the battles pretty much was finished this week and was done really quickly, actually. His other two main concerns were right now, locals in the school district could decide what they want that building to be used for, like an after-school center. Now they'd be essentially forced to give it to the charter school company. And fundamentally, he's worried that it's ceding local property rights, buildings owned by local residents, and instead giving a private company the privilege over to decide what to do with it. I spoke with uh, Michael Poor, the superintendent of the Rock School District, who charter school opponents, they do not like Michael Poor, but he actually spoke out against this in committee. He says now that he knows the schools that he's closing might end up being occupied by charter schools and drawing away students, he still uh, thinks it was a good decision to close the schools regardless, even if they get filled with charters it later. It does not make me regret it, because the other thing is that if we, if we don't, that we impact the community in a different way, because... When you look at our budget, it's made up primarily the, the biggest expense that you have is towards people. So if we don't tighten up in terms of our facilities, then what ends up happening is that you're going to go release workers from jobs. So that was the big education fight of the week. Real quick, we'll get into the education fight of next week that's going to happen. The House committee on Thursday passed a bill expanding where essentially voucher programs where you're going to give parents money to use that they can then use to go to any private school they want. They could even save some of the money for college funds if they want, which is interesting because if your kid goes to public school, the state's not going to give you money that you can choose to save for college. But here's Bill Kopsky. I also asked him about this bill coming up. And the school he's talking about in Brooks County has not admitted... Actually, let me introduce this. So his concern is that public money intended for public schools, parents could use it to go to whatever school they wanted... A superintendent of a Helena, the Helena West Helena School District said he envisions many people using this to go to a segregated school in his county. And the school he's talking about in Brooks County has not admitted a student of color in over 50 years. Never has. It was created intentionally to be an all-white racist academy. Today, 50 years later, still an all-white racist academy. 
And so he was saying that the state of state policy should not be making investments in those kinds of segregated uh, school systems that we all thought that our state grew past. So that should be on the House floor next week, this idea of expanding the voucher program in Arkansas. One last big bill that passed that will also be a battle that will really pick up next week. There's two bills to ex- dramatically expand highway funding by about $200 million a year. One, and they'd both be referred out to voters in November to vote on in, uh, for, during the general election in 2018. One would uh, allow the highway department to issue new bonds, both to support existing projects and to help meet a federal matching grant. That's part of the big deal behind this. Uh, the other one, though, would create a, a brand new sales tax on the wholesale price of gasoline and diesel at 6.5%. And that's a really hard thing for anybody to swallow in a small government state, but especially Republicans, because they're raising a new tax. So here's Dan Douglas, the bill's backer, Republican out of Bentonville. Hey, do I like doing this? I wish we had a goose that laid golden eggs, Representative Mayberry. I, I really do, because we could fund a lot of things. School nurses, uh, we could fund highways, we could fund all sorts of issues. But we don't have that goose. So we don't have that goose. They've got to try to figure out a way to pay for it. Americans for Prosperity and other conservative groups like that would say, let's take from general revenue or cut the budget elsewhere or look for efficiencies in the highway department. So that was some of the bills that had some action this week. There are a lot of bills that haven't gone anywhere yet because the bill filing deadline just passed this last Monday, so we just are getting a first look at them. I've got a list of some of these. Uh, Chris, Michael, I don't know if you want to go through some of them or or mention any comments you've heard about them. Well, the main thing I'll I'll note, I was going through the list, and so many of them are uh, still shell bills just put out there, and uh, if they want to revisit it and actually fill in details later, that's kind of what uh, uh, struck me. I, I did hear a little bit of the uh, debate about uh, uh, making the Bible as, uh, what, the state book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a uh, resolution passed the House. Symbolic, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, the AP reported that Tennessee had tried that the year before, and their governor there uh, vetoed it, saying it was trivializing a sacred text. So no word yet what the governor will say, say about yeah. that. So earlier this year we had the state dinosaur resolution <laughs> passed, and now yeah. state book Bible. Uh, there's one to only have one law school in the state, so watch out, UALR, all the powers in northwest Arkansas now. Oh. Uh, there's a couple of transgender bathroom bills. There's one to have a Civil War museum, which is, I guess, a response maybe to the Martin Luther King, Robert E. Lee separation, just an extra veneration of the Confederacy there. Uh, on the other side, there were some uh, Democrats who had some moonshot type of bills that will never pass, one to include gender identity and sexual orientation as uh protections under civil rights law, and one to eliminate the death penalty by Stephanie Flowers. So lots of, I think there are over 2,000 bills filed this session, so too much to look at, really. Okay, let's get out of politics and out away from the legislature. Well, actually, it's kind of political. Chris, you visited the Mexican consulate. Yeah, that's right. Um, They had an event last week um, where they were announcing some uh, new programs to uh, dole out legal advice to some of their citizens, undocumented immigrants here living in Arkansas and also their other zones that they cover in Oklahoma and West Tennessee. Um, These are uh, centers of defense, uh, kind of uh, involving workshops as well as uh, uh, helpful uh, advice for immigrants who want to uh, see, you know, like what steps, what measures they should be taking in order to 
uh, protect themselves in the event of a potential uh, deportation. And this is the con- in the context of Donald Trump being elected and various ICE raids and things like that. Being yeah, stopped. well, yeah, as you know, uh, throughout the campaign for the presidency, Donald Trump uh, made immigration a uh, key part of his platform, um, going so far as to say we should have a, a giant border wall on the U.S.-Mexico right. border, and also calling for uh, more deportations of illegal immigrants or people who are in the country illegally. Um, Since he's been president, uh, there have been some directives that have come out. Uh, For instance, last month, Homeland Security Department Secretary John Kelly issued directives to call for the hiring of an additional uh, few thousand uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement officers, ICE officers, as well as Border Patrol agents. There are also new rules that uh, stipulate that uh, person in the country illegally who may have committed a crime but who's not been charged suspected of a crime or has abused any receipt of public benefits uh, would be prioritized for removal as well as anyone who an immigration officer deems a risk to national security. So it's very broad definition of who would be prioritized for removal, which immigrant advocates have uh, said is uh, could potentially be applied to Uh, a majority of people who are in the country illegally. Um, So I want to play you a cut here. This is uh, Jose Aguilar. He's the deputy consul of the Little Rock Mexican consulate. And here he is talking about uh, kind of the sense of fear that people who come to the consulate are expressing. The fear, the fear now has increased completely. And that, uh, for example, we are... We, we, we have been requested this type of information since uh, November and it's been non-stop every week and uh, we've been working a lot to provide that, that, that information. So I can tell you there is fear, there is a huge concern by the families. They know, they, they, they listen many rumors and they want to be sure what to do. So that's what we are doing in this moment. So, yeah, that information being, you know, what to do in case your property is, uh, you know, seized if you're deported or what to do with your the custody of your children if you're deported, things like that. People are also going to the consulate to uh, get birth certificates for their children who are born in the U.S. because Mexico allows dual citizenship mm-hmm. as well as for um, the children of parents who are um you know, who had their children in the U.S. but have Mexican citizenship. So people are going to get that and renewing their passports as well. At this point, is it is the response from the consulate more of an expectation of hearing a lot more in the future or certainly they're responding to something that they, they're responding to something at the present time as well? Then? Well, they, you know, as he, uh, Aguilar mentioned there in that cut, you know, they have seen an increase of people coming. Uh, I asked him, there's, he said before the election, for instance, there were, he said roughly 35 people a day they served. Now it's more right. like 65 people a day. Um, there, he does uh, say that, you know, based on their reading of, you know, the recent directives that have been issued, it's, you know, they do apply more broadly to, and so the risk of deportation is higher than it was in the past. However, uh, they, ha- they do keep in some contact with uh, local ICE offices um, just to monitor you know, mm-hmm. what's been going on. And he says so far there hasn't been any 
um, increase of deportations above what had been in know, Arkansas. In, in Arkansas. Yeah. Um, based we, on what it had been in the past. We do have the expectation, and even a couple of weeks ago, Governor Hutchinson responded to concerns that uh, the National Guard might be uh, brought right. in to help uh, if there were deportations, and he expressed concern that that would stretch the Guard uh, too thin and was offered reassurances that that's uh, not something actively being considered, but was one proposal thrown out. Yeah. But I think it's just a general anticipation from a whole lot of people that uh, deportations are going to be ramped up. Governor Asa Hutchinson, he's got to have a pretty flexible mind. On one hand, he's worried about the National Guard being used for deportations. On the other hand, he's trying to figure out who can help run Big Bird programming <laughs> on the local PBS station. Uh, Michael, you covered a press conference. AETN, the Arkansas Educational Television Network, has a new director. Yeah, and uh, first it should be explained that uh, AETN, it's uh, rather different than how PBS outlets are operated in a lot of states. Uh, It's actually uh, run by a state agency, and that's why you had the governor making this announcement. He actually uh, interviewed the person who was uh, uh, eventually hired. I think he may have had the uh, final say on this. Uh, It's also worth noting, it's a little uh, sadly ironic that uh, we're talking about this on the same day that we're noting as we record this Friday afternoon. It was uh, one year ago that uh, KUAR and KLRE's longtime general manager, Ben Fry, suddenly died. Uh, Likewise, AETN, last November, uh, their longtime leader, Alan Weatherly, uh, passed away. Uh, He had been with the uh, network since 1983, had served as the uh, uh, operations director uh, since 2001, Uh, And since his death, there has been uh, interviews of a lot of people. Uh, And I'll first go ahead and play a a cut here from uh, Governor Hutchinson, uh, basically acknowledging uh, the uh, Alan Weatherly and uh, and just noting what an impact he had. I did want to uh, express my appreciation to Alan Weatherly, who uh, passed away last year. He had been a longtime uh, director of AETN and did an outstanding job. I enjoyed working with him. And because of his uh, unexpected passing, uh, we've had to uh, go through a leadership uh, search. And I I see Tony Brooks back there. And Tony, uh, let me tell you, thank you for uh, holding the ship together and being an outstanding interim director and for your longtime service at AETN, Tony. Tony, the uh, assistant uh, director there. Uh, The person they've uh, ended up hiring, her name is uh, Courtney Pledger. She has a pretty extensive background in television and films uh, for the last uh, five years or so. She's been executive director of the Hot Springs Documentary Film Festival and has been kind of credited with rejuvenating that. She's also been with uh, uh, several film production companies, including DreamWorks Animation. Uh, A key issue here is that there's a lot of politics. You know, for the last several decades, there has been uh, talk uh, from Washington going back to 
uh, even the mid-90s when uh, uh, you had then uh, House Speaker Newt Gingrich suggesting uh, cutting funding for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, uh, to even uh, recently, uh, last year, we had State Senator Bart Hester, uh, critical of state spending, suggesting that in this day and age, with uh, what the free market offers, there's an ample array of choices in uh, public broadcasting. And at the national level, of course, we're hearing a lot from the Donald Trump administration. Yeah, yeah, suggesting uh, there ought to be uh, cuts there. Uh, And and I'll have a cut from the governor in just a moment, but I'll first go ahead and play uh, a cut here from uh, uh, Courtney Pledger, uh, basically offering uh, some assurances, saying, number one, uh, they're not looking at doing any uh, wholesale changes at uh, AETN. At this point, we, we, we have such a strong foundation. We have a wonderful team. I have a lot of uh, people, including Deputy Director Tony Brooks, to help guide me. And we're just going to get in there and keep doing well what we do. Go ahead and tell him. I didn't give you any marching orders. <laughs> he gave me no marching orders. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. And, and he did uh, uh, make a comment. Well, you'll hear it here in uh, just a second. But... Uh, AETN was created back in 1966. They've been marking their uh, 50th anniversary. It, as well as uh, public radio, were really created with uh, educational missions. And, uh, you know, KLRE started off as part of the Little Rock School District and signed on at 9 a.m., signed off at 3 p.m., and was run entirely by students. And uh, in both you know, public television and public radio have become more professional operations. But uh, here's the uh, governor uh, commenting on uh, Pledger as well as what he thinks of AETN. I recognize uh, her talent, uh, her leadership. I think she'll be a, a great part of the AETN team, most importantly, but she will be an important part of my team. Uh, our balanced budget we've presented has continued funding and support for AETN. There's not any reduction in my balanced budget. There's no plans in that regard. So that uh, a relief for a lot of people. Still some nervousness, especially uh, uh, from people at uh, AETN. And, and we should note that uh, KUAR and Arkansas Public Media, uh, we're partners with AETN, and uh, our reporters often appear on their network programs and political debates. I'm going to say it sounds really horrible to have uh KUAR back in the day when it was um, only done from nine to three because the kids that were doing it never got to listen. They were in school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never got to hear it. Yeah. Uh, Michael, you mentioned uh, Alan Weatherly's passing. Of course, we can't help but notice that this is the date marking the passing of Ben Fry. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about any remembrance you's, you've been having today? Yeah, it's, uh, well, it, it's something we've noted, and it's something that everyone here in the building has been uh, thinking about because it really was a uh, shock when uh, Ben passed away. So a lot of people have been thinking about him and, uh, you know, his uh, wife, uh, Karen, uh, as well as their uh, two kids, Sam and Sarah. Yeah, it, it, it can't be uh, overstated, really, the influence he had on this station. And in the last year, you know, just keeping this place going is one of those situations where I don't think we really uh, realize the extent of uh, things that uh, Ben did here, uh, especially little things like uh, engineering. Well, not little things, yeah. but uh, you know, we've been working to complete a huge uh, rebuild, essentially, of our audio system, re- putting in a new control board. Uh, these were things that Ben would have really 
been great at. Um, and, you know, he and a contract engineer, uh, Tom Rusk, were just going to do it. And that has uh, it's been a big learning curve since his passing. Uh, my first time here at KUAR back in the mid-90s, he was a program director at that time. And he just uh, ran the station like a family. Um, you know, people always say, you know, someone's a great guy in remembrances. But Ben Ben really was, you know, a good person to work for. He cared deeply about uh, public radio. The way he was able to stretch dollars. And uh, he opted to do things like engineering work himself. Um, so... It's, uh, it's been something every single person around here has uh, brought this up today. And uh, it's sad, you know, we're working to celebrate Ben's life and uh, his memory. Uh, we renamed our control room after Ben Fry because he led that uh, project to rebuild uh, the control room. And, uh, you know, for those of us who have just tried to keep this place going we've been uh, stretched thin doing our best to keep it going but we you know developed even more appreciation of the job the roles he did how he you know was the glue that held this place together to use a cliche but boy he really uh, did that and of course we can't ever forget his encyclopedic knowledge knowledge of arkansas films that seems unrivaled by uh, <laughs> by most all right well thanks michael that was a uh, that was very touching and uh I also want to thank Nathan Vandiver, our now longtime interim general yeah. manager. Nathan's done a, a great job of building on Ben's legacy. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of KUAR's Week in Review podcast. We sure covered a lot of terrain, and there's still a lot more to go next week. KUAR is licensed to UA Little Rock. That's the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, though we are editorially independent. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast at all places you subscribe to podcasts, including on iTunes or visit us at KUAR.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Michael Hipplin. I'm Chris Hickey. 